Hey there, third graders. It's Miss Hayes here with chapter three of Return of the Indian. And the title is The Way It Began. Amru was rather a private person. At least, he needed to be alone quite a bit of the time. So his room, which was right up under the eaves of the house, was perfect for him. In the old house, his bedroom had been just one of the several openings off the upstairs landing, and at certain times of the day he had been like a, tr- had been like a railway station. His new room was off the beaten track. No one, in his opinion, had any reason to come up here or even pass the door. There were times now that he had it all arranged to suit himself when he forgot about how awful it was living in Hobble Road, when it seemed worth anything to have a room like this. It wasn't a very large room, so his father had built a shelf high up under the skylight for him to sleep on. This was great because he could look up at the night sky. Under this bed shelf were his desk and more shelves for his collections of old bottles, key rings, and wooden animals. The wall opposite the window was covered with his posters, a mixture of old and new from Snoopy and an early Beatles to the police. In pride of place were two large photographs of Iroquois chieftains that he'd found in magazines. Neither of these Indians looked remotely like Little Bear, but they appealed to Omri just the same. His clothes were stored on the landing, so his room wasn't cluttered up with them. That left quite a lot of space for his beanbag seats, a low table, his cassette radio, and his most recent acquisition, an old chest. He'd found this in the local market, coated with dirt and grease. He bought it for two quid after bargaining, and borrowed a cart from a market man to drag it around the corner to Hovel Road. He'd cleaned it with a scraper and some sandpaper out in the garden before hauling it up to his room. The wood was oak, the hinges iron, and it had a brass plate on it with the name of its first owner. Omri had hardly been able to believe it when he had removed the layers of dirt from this plate and read the name for the first time. L. Bear. L. Bear? Little Bear. Of course it was pure coincidence, but as Omri thought, well, if I were superstitious... He shined the brass every week. Somehow it, too, made him feel closer to Little Bear. The chest was not only interesting and beautiful, but useful. Omri used it for storage. There was only one thing wrong with it. It had a lock, but no key. So he piled cushions and other objects on it and pretended it was a bench. That way, nobody who happened to be prying about in his room. It still happened occasionally. Mothers cleaning and brothers poking around borrowing things. But no one would realize that it contained a number of interesting and private objects. Omri knelt by the chest now and shifted to the floor a pile of cassettes, a bulworker, some cushions, and three copies of Mad Magazine, among other bits of junk. Then he opened the lid of the chest. It, too, was untidy, but Omri knew where to burrow. On their way down the left-hand side in search of the folder containing his prize-winning story, Omri's fingers touched metal and paused. Then... Carefully, he moved some other things which were in the way, and eased this metal object out. It was a small white cabinet with a mirror in its door and a keyhole, an old-fashioned bathroom medicine cupboard, in fact. He stood it on the table. A door swung open. Apart from a single shelf, it was quite empty, as empty as it had been when he'd first received it, a rather odd birthday present from Gillen just over a year ago. Omri sat back on his heels, staring at it. How clearly it all came back the cupboard, the strange little key which had been his great-grandmother's and which had mysteriously fitted the commonplace lock and turned this ordinary little metal box into a time machine with a difference. Put any plastic object, an axe, an Indian teepee, a quiver of arrows into it, close the door, turn the key, and those things became real. Miniature, but real. Real leather, real cloth, real steel, 
put the plastic figures of humans, beings, or animals inside, and in the time it took to lock them in, they too became real. Real and alive. And not just living toys, but people from another time. From their own lives, with their own personalities and needs and demands. Oh, it hadn't all been fun and games, as Omri had naively expected at first. Little Bear was no toy to submit tamely to being played with. He was, for all his tiny stature, a ferocious savage, warlike and demanding. Omri had soon realized that if any grown-ups found out about cabinets, about the cabinet's magic properties, they would take it and the Indian and everything else away. So Omri had had to keep it a secret and look after, feed, and protect his Indian as best he could. And when Patrick had found out the secret and sneaked a Texas cowboy into the cupboard so that he, too, could have a little person, well, that's when the trouble really started. Little Bear and Boone were natural enemies. They came close to killing each other several times. Even their respective ponies had caused endless difficulties. And then a deal had taken the cupboard one day. The key had fallen out of the lock and been lost. And Omri, Patrick, and the two little men had been faced with the dire possibility that the magic was dead. That these minute and helpless people would have to remain in Omri's time, in his giant world, and in his care forever. It was this, the terrible fright they had all had from this notion, that finally proved to Omri that he would have to give up his Indian friend and send the little people back, back to their own time, through the magic of the cupboard. When the key was found, that's what they all agreed on. But it was so hard to part that Boone, who was shamingly soft-hearted for a cowboy, had cried openly, and even the boy's eyes were wet with tears. Omri seldom let himself think of those last moments. They upset him so much. When they'd reopened the cupboard door, there were two groups. Little Bear and the wife Omri had found him, bright stars, sitting on Little Bear's pony, and Boo-Hoo Boone on his white horse. Only now they were plastic again. Patrick had taken Boone and put him in his pocket, and Omri had kept the Indians. He had them still. He had packed them into a little wooden box, which he kept safely at the very bottom of the chest. Actually, it was a box within a box within a box. Each was tied tightly with string. There was a reason for all of this. Omri had wanted to make them difficult to get to. He had always known that he would be tempted to put Little Bear and Bright Stars into the cupboard again and bring them back to life. His curiosity about how they were getting on, that alone tormented him every day. They had lived in dangerous times, times of war between tribes, Wars aided and encouraged by Frenchmen and Englishmen who were fighting on American soil in those far-off days. Boone's time, the time of the pioneering Texas, a hundred years after Little Bear's era, was dangerous, too. And there'd been another little man, Tommy the British medical orderly from the First World War. They'd magicked him to life to help when Little Bear was kicked by his horse, when Boone was dying of an, air, of an arrow wound. Tommy might, just might, still be alive in Omri's world but he would be terribly old, about 90 by now. By putting their plastic figures into the magic cupboard, by turning the key, Omri had the power to recall them to life, to youth. He could snatch them from the past. The whole business nearly blew Omri's mind every time he thought at all deeply about it, so he tried not to think about it too much. And to prevent his yielding to temptation, he had given his mother the key. She wore it around her neck on a chain. It was quite decorative. People often asked her about it, and she would say, Oh, it's Omri's, really, but he lends it to me. That wasn't the whole truth. Omri had pressed it on her and begged her to keep it safe for him. Safe. Not just from getting lost again, but safe from him. From his longing to use it again, to reactivate the magic, to bring back his friends, to bring back the time when he had been 
not happiest, but most intensely, dangerously alive himself. And that is the end of chapter three. Stay tuned for chapter four.